From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Hello, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Oh my, baseball is here, the young infancy stage of baseball, all newborn for the season. With us to talk about all the cool stuff in baseball is the Boston Red Sox Chief Technology Officer, Brian Shield. Brian, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks, Damien. It's good to be with you. Now, I oh, now here comes stupid old man Barr. <laughs> what what is your what is a chief technology officer for the Red Sox? What do you do? Yeah, so I spend a lot of my time, obviously, on everything that's uh, fan facing, um, obviously internal to the front office of the of the organization. You know, work closely with baseball operations on a lot of the technology that we deploy. And, uh, and then operationally, we support, you know, seven ballparks um, to make sure that, uh, especially as technology becomes more pervasive, uh, whether it's analytics and other forms, you know, we've got uh, more than 50, you know, cameras and analytics taking place across all these ballparks. So, you know, keeping track of all that information, all the data, all the analytics that kind of go along with it and, uh, and developing applications to help support the business and our fans. And Brian, just to yeah. confirm, those cameras aren't used to steal uh, signs for the, from the New York Yankees, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. they're not. They're I, not. They're I, not. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. I know. Right? Okay. <laughs> Brian, here's, here's, here's the interesting question I have, right? I mean, yeah. you've now got sports betting. The NFL just yesterday announced they're going to be allowing some of these, you know, kind of sports betting, um, you know, vandals, et cetera, to set up inside the stadium. How do you think that's going to change the fan experience if it ever comes to baseball? Yeah, I think in time, I mean, you know, I think all these things, I mean, the good news about the relationship I think that clubs have with MLB is that, you know, this has been, we've had plenty of time to sort of, you know, discuss this sort of internally and think about sort of, you know, the ripple effects. I mean, there are some sports that are further along than baseball. And so I think we'll we'll certainly learn from them, you know, and, um, you know, and, and probably implement a little bit of a crawl, walk, run manner. But, um, but I think it's generally somewhat inevitable. I think it's just more a question of timing and, and, uh, and and degree at some level. Everybody's getting ready for the betting and there's going to be a whole season looking at the games and they're going to see, okay, do I want to bet this spread or bet that spread? And they're going to be probably using a lot of your data involved in trying to come up with the decision. Can you take us more on what sports betting has meant for baseball? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the one thing, I mean, you know, as you all know, whether it's, you know, just going back to things like Moneyball, I mean, you know, analytics and and deep, you know, levels of data um, have been a part of baseball for years, you know, probably since the inception. But but certainly, you know, in, in certainly over the last 10 to 20 years, they've uh, they've progressed in many respects so that we have much, much more granular data. I mean, MLB's obviously added a lot of new technology, you know, for the last 10 years through products like StatCast and other things. And it's been supplemented quite a bit with, um, you know, organizations like ours and many other clubs that 
add many of those camera analytics that analyze pitches and keep track of everything from, you know, at a thousand frames a second in certain cases. So we know everything from all the mechanics of hitters and batters and, you know, a T equals zero where the ball leaves a bat, you know, <laughs> jump on the ball and the path to the ball. And, you know, there's a, you know, you only, you know, you watch like a, you know, obviously a Monday night game or a Sunday night game, you know, you really get a good appreciation or in your all-star games, like, you know, for all the different analytics that kind of exist. So I think all those will ultimately come into play. Um, the good thing is, is that they continue to get refined and get much more accurate. So, um, you know, there, there'll certainly be a treasure trove of data for people to kind of, you know, dip into to learn about these processes. But it, it's, you know, generally publicly available. Uh, at least most of that's available. Yeah. We're, we obviously have our own proprietary data that, uh that uh, wouldn't be part of that discussion. So Brian, I know, I mean, obviously, you know, we could talk about data you have on players, on coaches, on the game itself, but I, I mean, we also obviously have a lot of focus on uh, consumer data, you know, and what your audience, what your fans are doing. And, you know, from my mm -hmm. perspective, you know, my question is, you know, what type of data are you keeping on your fans? What type of data do you find useful when trying to, you know, grow the Red Sox franchise and grow and, and build your brand? Yeah, no, great question. So, you know, you're right. The, I mean, we're not unique. I mean, all uh, clubs are. Their data content, like every organization has, you know, hockey sticked. And, um, and, you know, understanding of fan behavior and the kind of data that we sort of collect as part of that has also done so. I mean, again, as I mentioned before, we have a very close relationship with NLB. So we have this, um, you know, obviously not just between both our websites and mobile apps and because everything is effectively mobile now with 100% digital ticketing. You know, we know more about fan behavior, which is a good thing, right? So we keep track of everything from obviously everything there is to know about ticketing and primary markets and secondary markets and how people use their tickets and, you know, what time they get to games and what gates they go into and all host of things so that, you know, over time that we can hopefully create a better experience. Um, as you guys know, I mean, you guys obviously attend a lot of sporting events, but, you know, your average fan, you know, you've got different, you know, we've got different, many different personas of fans and, you know, on different ends of it, you've got the family with a couple of kids who probably go to one or two games a year. And, you know, coming to Fenway Park is is like, you know, going to Disney World. <laughs> and so and it's probably uniquely, you know, you know, probably similarly confusing in many ways. And so, you know, it, it, anything that we can do to simplify that experience where we can give them information about, hey, you know, use our app to kind of plan your parking. So you don't you're not trying to do that on the fly, because as you guys know, Fenway is not a you know, parking friendly world, so to speak, given being kind of an urban environment and um, or whether it's, you know, mobile food ordering or it's it's pre-ordering, depending upon kind of where you're sitting and, you know, seat upgrades and things about, you know, we work with MLB on things in the future about, uh, you know, wayfinding and other things. So to me, it's all these fan amenities kind of, I hope, will kind of add up to really sort of making it a more seamless experience, you know, for, for fans on both kind of ends of the the frequent fans and the season ticket holders to the occasional fan who who's uh, trying to navigate their journey, um, you know, once or twice a year. Speaking from the good old geezer days when I used to go to old Tiger Stadium, and if you wanted some special food, you would get the hot dog, and he, the person would say, yeah, mustard and ketchup's to your right. Maybe if you want some relish, okay, here it is in a packet. Now, <laughs> everything has changed. In fact, Aramark just announced, and you guys are involved with their food preparations, so many items that are involved now that someone can go to the park and just enjoy themselves and, and pig out eating good food. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I um 
I was at a game, I was at a hockey game last night and I was kind of wishing for some of that. <laughs> you know, I was walking around <laughs> like hot dog, slice of pizza. And I'm kind of like, man, you know, and you know, if your appetite's a little broader than that, you know, it's um, I think you'll be happy, you know, with the way I think, uh, you know, Airmark and the Red Sox and other clubs are sort of providing much, many more services. You know, I remember one of the first away games I went to is when the uh, Red Sox in 86 were in Anaheim at the playoffs. And I remember being like overwhelmed by the, by the, by the volume and, you know, variety of food that was available at the park. And I thought, Oh my gosh, cause you're right. I think back in the day, it was probably a hot dog and a, <laughs> yeah. a pizza sitting under a light bulb or something, you know? And so it's come a long ways and I, and you know, we have tools that allow people to kind of, you know, query those things too. So they can hopefully find things that uh, they like best to make it kind of a, a more, you know, more compelling experience. Brian, baseball's dynamic. <clears throat> and in your role, you're at the heart of that dynamism and but what I mean by that is we had some rules changes in the offseason, you know, no shift, you know, the pitch count, you know, the size of the bases. I mean, the pitch count, Kenley Jansen had the worst third worst tempo between pitches last year. So talk to me about the interesting novel data requests you're receiving in response to these rules changes. Yeah, I mean, the good news is uh, I'll start with the positives, I guess. The, the good news is, is that, you know, spring training you know, games are, are finishing 20 and 30 minutes faster than last year. You know, so um, I think there's reason for optimism. I mean, we we learn a lot from our minor league systems too, just to kind of get a better glimpse of you know what it'll be like when we kind of apply those things, you know, at the major league level. And um, you know, and I think it's all very encouraging. I think it's going to be a really a better experience for fans. I think it's going to, I mean, as we saw in a couple situations, you know, there's going to be a little kind of working through some kinks. I think you know, like we saw in spring training in a couple incidences, you know, the. Um, you know, I think on some level, it's, you know, it'll be some elements like, you know, like like football sometimes when you're kind of trying to figure out like the boundaries and what's a catch, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. I mean, Brian, you got to believe, right? Like teams like yourselves are going to be really monitoring like pitch counts, time between pitch counts, things of that nature now, because I'm sure it's going to impact, you know, the way the way the players play. Right. I mean, you might you might no, have played, totally. you know, and so I'm, I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, are you going to be doing anything differently this year? Yeah, I don't have, you know, tremendous insight on that particular question, but we always kind of measure that, you know, so that's right. not really new to us. I think it's, to your point, though, it probably puts a finer point on it because, as you know, you know, some pitchers, you know, they're they're most comfortable if they kind of, you know, kind of take their time and they're patient and things like that. You know, this is going to kind of force them to a little bit out of their comfort zone. So I think, you know, for our organizations like ours, you know, all these variables kind of go into like who you draft, like how you, you know, how you train them up, like how you coach them over these different skills. And, you know, and the challenge with any professional athlete, even for any weekend warrior when it comes to golf or something is that, you know, you can only tweak so many things at the same time. Right. So it's I think, you know, I, I think that we've had time to realize this was coming. So I think, um, you know, we saw a couple of years ago when we started introducing you know, when MLB introduced sort of like even players not leaving the, the batter's box. You know, I mean, you know, we've had a few celebrated players here in our own history who were uh, who quite took their time between pitches, you know, if they were hitters and stuff and uh, adjusting equipment and such. And uh, and I think that, frankly, has made it so much better because as a fan, you know, I think we want to see, you know, we want to see offense. We want to see excitement and we want the game to kind of move at a you know reasonable pace. You know, Brian, so, um, more of that. 
what I was just going to say, I mean, we can't we can't let you leave without asking you about your big offseason acquisition, Masataka Yoshida, right? We all saw the World Baseball Classic. We know who he is now. Five-year, $90 million. Looks like a steal now when people were saying it was risky. Um, my question for you is, you know, the Red Sox have always been so active internationally, and specifically when it comes to Japanese prospects. What type of data are you guys, you know, kind of looking over in order to get, you know, a better handle on some of these players who have yet to really show themselves in the majors? Well, we've got, we've always had a very diverse, you know, scouting organization with, you know, more than 130 scouts, you know, across the U.S. and international. So, you know, we, we obviously apply very much the same metrics internationally. I mean, if you think about how many, you know, players come from Central and South America sure. and things like that. So we're already, you know, very well versed kind of with those things. I mean, you know, Atani's obviously, you know, I think given all of us sort of a reality check about just the quality of baseball that um, that's being played over there, or certainly that certain individuals can, you know, enable or you know provide. And and so I think, you know, we, we apply very much the same filters. And I think that, um, you know, obviously the organization feels really, really high on him and uh, he did a great job of the World Baseball Classic. And so I think, you know, we're very excited about, you know, what that means, hopefully for yeah. Boston or for years to come. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. My father, God rest his soul, he was in his 90s when he passed. And before he passed, I was trying to explain to him, hey, Pop, you need to get Wi-Fi. And he looked at me and he said, what kind of voodoo hoot nanny is that? And, and I'm like, I'm trying to explain this to him. But, you know, today's world is, listen, I, it's hard for me to think of a park without Wi-Fi. I'm sure Fenway uh, has made so many upgrades uh, in that area and, and upgrades and beyond. Yeah, we were the first, you know, organization to, uh, you know, take advantage of extreme networks you know, Wi-Fi 6 environment. Uh, I saw the Braves just announced the new Wi-Fi 6E, the latest uh, version of Wi-Fi. And uh, it's, it's a you know, it's a big deal, right? Like, it, it, it's not just Wi-Fi. It's kind of building that relationship between, you know, both Wi-Fi and cellular service, right, to uh, to really kind of deliver a compelling experience. And, and your other point about, you know, whether it's all these other fan amenities, like whether it's mobile food ordering or, you know, or how do I find different, you know, kinds of foods that might, you know, I might prefer or, you know, digital ticketing and all the different, you know, other forms of amenities that we now rely on our mobile apps to enable. Those things are all predicated on having, you know, high speed connectivity. So we've got a great relationship with Verizon, with 5G. We've got a great relationship with uh, extreme networks. And, you know, we monitor it really closely, you know, and you're never done. You know, that's the other reality is, you know, you implement these things and it's, um, you know, it's kind of it's a challenge to kind of refine and tune these things so that you're getting the best possible performance. And, uh, and you know, for us, it's like you know whether you want to take pictures and upload things to social media or you want to, you know, who knows in future sports betting or things. You know, 
Now we look at all the analytics too, you know, and we know how people kind of, you know, use Wi-Fi and things like that. And, you know, I was actually very surprised looking at some numbers um, recently that um, just how many people like, you know, even bet on other sports while they're sitting there watching a baseball game, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's pretty remarkable, you know, whether that or it's social media and things. And so we know how fans use the technology and, uh, and we're continuing to provide services to hopefully kind of tap into that. Brian, I know you're up in Boston, but if you were here with me and um, Mr. Barr in New York City, you'd be reading in the Post about Knicks owner James Dolan and the team's facial recognition technology and all the who and ha that goes with that. You know, it seems there's a little bit of a love-hate relationship between the fans and the teams that are collecting data on them. How do you sell to fans that collecting such data is actually going to help them uh, enjoy games more and improve the experience? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, facial recognition, in my mind... Because we're very familiar with the company, we did some testing with um, with Wicket as well, and you know we were really impressed. I mean, we were able to um, now these are people who have all opted in, right? So we don't do mm-hmm. it with average you know person. Person has to opt into this program, but once they have opted in, you know we can see numbers of having up to like sixty people per minute, you know, kind of pass through a turnstile just based on facial recognition. That's like really remarkable. And I think what's going to happen in time is I think the efficiencies will outweigh people's sort of anxiety on, on some levels about um, about sort of some of these things that's being maybe collected or shared and things like that. There's a lot of safeguards that go into this as well. And, you know, we kind of pause a little bit. MLB's obviously did a big study and um, they're doing some piloting this year. The Mets are kind of, you know, uh, testing something a little bit different. And, and obviously we've sort of seen this through football and the Browns are doing quite a bit for a number of years. You know, so we're for us, it's not as um, critical um, an item for us because a, a little bit because Fenway's a smaller ballpark and our lines aren't usually skewed quite like in the same way you might find at some other ballparks where you know it's one giant parking lot surrounded by sort of a number of different entrances. You know, it's not as pivotal, we don't think. Um, but in time, I mean, I know Aramark is testing with it as well. So, you know, people at will time will be able to order alcoholic beverages based on facial recognition, be able to order other things and stuff. And so I, I think it's sort of inevitable in certain cases. But again, for those people that decide to opt in. So I, I think it's, um, it'll be sort of, you know, a little uh, a la carte for folks to kind of decide whether these are features that they um, they want to take advantage of. Mr. Dolan and many other parks would hate me. I can just see who broke this. Oh, bar's face. Thanks. Thanks a lot. It's all done, man. <laughs> I, I would like to ask one thing about the data that yeah. has to change. Uh, because the bases simply are larger now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's less distance for the runner to get from point A to point B. That has to change the data on uh, runners stealing bases or just simply running out to first base. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully, you know, I think, you know, the intent, obviously, you know, as the league continues to sort of tweak and refine some of these different things is that, you know, as you know, sometimes, you know, if you follow baseball, some people say like, oh, these are advantages to the pitcher or these, these are, you know, like, look at, look at, um, you know, when people do shifts, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously kind of cuts down on a number of hits and runs and things and changes people's, you know, approach at the bat um, when they're at the plate. And I think, you know, what it's going to do is it's hopefully going to reward, you know, uh, speed on the base pass. And, you know, we already measure things, things that historically were very qualitative, like, you know, he got a good lead. You know, these things are all very quantitative now. You know, we, we kind of know things like when the person gets a lead more than, you know, whatever, 
nine feet, that their success rate is exponentially higher than slightly less than that and things like that. So people know there's there's a lot of detail that goes into all these different things that you and I growing up would have thought were kind of somewhat qualitative things, you know, so um, it'll definitely affect kind of, I think, you know, when people choose to steal, you know, hopefully it'll change kind of coaches a little bit behavior when they get certain, you know, batters at bat and, you know, um, base runners and things. So um, I'm really excited about seeing kind of and looking at the data on all this and see how it basically kind of plays out with, uh, with, and frankly, with so many rule changes kind of happening at the same time. You know, I think it's all positive. I think it's all generally going the right direction. It's um, looking at them in their magnitude, hopefully just results in sort of, you know, better overall experience and and hopefully less time so that folks can, uh, you know, can enjoy the rest of their day as well. File Brian Shield, Red Sox Chief Technology Officer under Superdude, because he was so kind to join us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you again, Brian. We really do appreciate it. You know, it's great joining you guys. Thank you very much, and it'll be a great, uh, great season. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Damian Sasser. You can follow me on Twitter at DSassour. Hey, guess what? You can download our podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Download them wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.